Just a small town. That's all I can sing or we'll get into licensing trouble. But you know, you know it. You've sung it at karaoke before. I know you have. Good morning, everybody. My name is Sam. I'm glad to be back with you, uh, giving the staff a break, talking about the book of Philippians this morning. Hope everybody had a good night's sleep. I did. Mark, Mike and I were talking about this earlier. I did until I had a dream, uh, more of a nightmare, uh, where I was attempting to complete a TikTok challenge with Kevin Hart in Tom Brady's house. I don't know what the challenge was, but it was a nightmare because things were not going well, and uh, everyone was yelling at me. I was obviously the weak link in that scenario. So hopefully you didn't have a dream like that. You had a peaceful night's sleep. <laughs> anyway, back to the book of Philippians. So Philippians this morning, right? So very cool book. It's one that's full of encouragement, full of joy, things like that, particularly for those people who may be down on their luck. It's a great book of encouragement. And there's a lot of great advice in this book when it comes to the difficulties we face, not just as Christians, but as humans inhabiting planet Earth. If you've lived long enough on this interesting little planet of ours, you know that suffering, difficulty, and pain is always on the menu. I don't know if y'all have noticed that, but it's always on the menu. Uh, It's often served up in doses after you have not asked for it, Uh, and that's the way that works. And it's usually not a question of if something is going to happen, it's a matter of when. And that's what this whole first chapter of Philippians is all about. It's about uh, suffering, it occurring, dealing with it, and then growing from it. So with that intro, let's dive into today's topic. And our overall topic in this last part that uh, John read to us really is how do we endure suffering and how do we get back to a sense of spiritual equilibrium once we're on the other side of that suffering. So today we're going to be talking about the other side of suffering. And to answer that, I'm going to bounce around between not only spiritual guidance, but life coaching and just some good old-fashioned therapy because suffering affects every part of who we are, all parts of who we are. And though there may be a good explanation for why something might happen, that doesn't stop the mental or emotional or uh, psychological, spiritual turmoil uh, that comes with random chaos interrupting your life on a Tuesday at 4 p.m. that you had no idea was coming. And you guys may have experienced something like that, that type of chaos. So I don't know if you've heard this phrase before, philosophy is a rich person's game. I don't know if y'all have heard that, or philosophy is the invention of the rich. It's true. People who have everything can sit around leisurely talking and smoking cigars, sipping brandy, discussing the whys of the world. But real people, (laughs) people that get up and go to work every day, everyday people talk about how to stop their suffering, not why it occurred. Because it doesn't matter so much why it occurred as it is how do we get out of the situation we're in. We want relief much more than we want an explanation. If an explanation comes along as well, it's great. But give us the relief first, right? So we need a practical, godly approach to finding healing. And so that's what we're going to try to unpack this morning. So back to our scripture. So Paul, after spending a long time talking about suffering in the first part of this chapter, at the end kind of tacks on this practical list of things in these verses uh, that were read. And so I want to pull some of these out for you, and then kind of translate them into Sam slang, into uh, <laughs> whatever uh, vernacular, kind of a everyday language. So first up, Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Translation, 
Stuff happens. Stop freaking out. That's what that really means, right? Conduct yourselves in a manner of worthy no matter what is going on, right? Second part that he says. Now, and when I, let me say this, and I'll say it a couple of times. I'm not minimizing suffering or tragedy when I say stop freaking out. But there has to be something beyond that. There has to be a proactive response beyond a reactive panic. And it's okay to panic. It's okay to react. But that can't be the whole thing. If it consumes you, you never find your way out. Okay? So, next, Paul says, Then I know that you will stand firm in one spirit. Translation, be brave and be strong. Then, Paul says, striving together as one. In other words, lean on others for support. Next, Paul says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. In other words, don't let fear or panic or anxiety or whatever you want to describe your freak out as, don't let it consume you, okay? And finally, he says, since you're going through the same struggle that I have had, the same struggle, what does that tell you? You're not the first person to go through this. No matter how hard it seems, no matter how much pain is involved, you're not the first person and you won't be the last. So find people who have been through that and ask for help. That's, that's pretty practical stuff right there, right? But with most things in life, it's not about knowing the stuff. It's about applying it consistently until something changes. So let's dig in here a little bit more. And the first thing I want to talk about is the two mental tra- traps on both sides of the um, the situation with suffering. I want to walk through those with you briefly. So people tend to swing from one extreme to another. I don't know if you've noticed this. It's a common thing. Uh, you may have noticed it this week. People, people they, they, get, they have extreme responses to things. So on one idea, when suffering comes down the pipe, people say, oh, well, everything happens for a reason. I guess I just need to learn to accept this as my lot in life. Have you heard that? Well, Everything happens. I guess we'll just learn to accept this like we accept everything. On the other end of that is, I am not putting up with this. You can't treat me like that. I have the strength I need to overcome this inside of me. You can't do that to me, and I'm going to show you you can't do that to me. All right? Both of these are on opposite ends of the spectrum. One is completely resigned to what's happened. This one wants to rage against everything and shadow box. Okay? Both of these opposite ends of the spectrum. The first one you would call fatalism. So fatalism believes that everything is out of our control as humans. And our response is to learn to come to terms with that and do our best with that. What can we learn from this problem? Okay. What can we learn from the hand that we've been dealt? You plaster some God over that, Christianese, and put it over the top of it, and it's called Christian determinism. Christian determinism says, everything that happens to me happens because God ordained it or willed it, and he wants to teach me something out of it. Everything that happens happens because God is trying to teach you something, okay? So if God's trying to teach me out of all this bad stuff, it can't be bad. Therefore, my feelings are misguided if I feel like it's bad. See the problem? It's difficult to deal with that. On the other side is humanism or progressivism in the, or positivism is the 19th century word where I can pull myself out of this horrible situation due to whatever advancements, technological, scientific, whatever the case may be, and I can resolve this situation with a little bit of 
uh, work ethic and elbow grease, and I can pull myself up to do these things. I'm the victim, but I have the power to write my victimhood, okay? You notice what's missing out of that? God. God's completely missing in that model. Both of those are extremes, and we see those responses in various form pretty often. As usual, we humans have trouble finding the middle ground. My grandfather used to tell me to keep it between the ditches. If y'all heard that phrase, nice southern phrase, right? So we have trouble doing that. We end up in the ditch pretty often, right? So some things, some things, not everything happens because God is trying to teach you something. I don't know if, newsflash, not everything is God doing something to you. God is not trying to teach you something all the time. Sometimes God is, but sometimes stuff is just stuff. When the AC unit goes out in the middle of a heat wave, God is not trying to teach you to be patient. He's also not trying to remind you to be, stay hydrated. God is not doing these things, right? Those are called psychological coping mechanisms for difficult situations, okay? It's not the same thing. God's not trying to teach you that. What you need to do is pick up the phone and call the AC person, right? That's what you do in that situation, right? You can alleviate your own suffering. This is why Christians get laughed at sometimes. Sometimes we come across as a little cray-cray because we do (laughs) these type of things. Well, I guess I'll just suffer and wait for God to... No, pick up the phone and solve your problem, okay? And on the other side, the humanism side, the positivism side, we have too much faith in ourselves to solve our own problems or in institutions of humans to solve our own problems when they're not human-driven problems. There's something deeper. We have too much faith in ourselves when really we should be praying about it and asking others for godly advice. The philosophical side, the, phil- the, the philosophy side of this side of the spectrum is righteous, righteous indignation. It's a response to life's problems. It's actually kind of getting old, but really it's just a philosophy. It's still questioning why things are the way they are. Why should that happen? Why shouldn't that happen? Why shouldn't it be that way? Well, great. You can rage. You can figure that out, but it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't move the lever. You know what moves the lever? God, prayer, humility, and love. That moves the lever. So where is the answer? Like I said, grandpa told me, it's right in the middle. It's right in the middle. The best response to suffering of any type is to find the balance in trusting God on one side and doing what you can proactively do to find peace. These things are not at odds with each other. They should be done in concert with each other. There are a lot of good quotes about this out there. I picked out just a couple, and they're not, actually, none of these are by preachers, I believe. So um, here, here's some of them. I, li- I like this one. Hunter S. Thompson, who's an author, is a pretty, pretty wild author if you ever read his stuff. Um, he says, call on God, but row away from the rocks. In other words, call on God, but do what you can do to not shipwreck yourself. There's also a Near Eastern or Middle Eastern proverb that says, trust in God, but tie up your camel right? Trust in God, but tie up your camel for Pete's sake. Tie up your camel, right? We know how to do these things, people. And then there's that quote by that great philosopher, Shania Twain, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid, okay? 
So why do we see the same type of advice in our songs, in our literature, in our aphorisms? Why do we see these things? Because it's true. And most suffering in the world is self-inflicted. Most of it is. A lot of it is. Definitely not all of it. But we can all admit that sometimes we are the problem. Sometimes we are the problem. And if you're stupid, just fix it, admit it, and fix it, okay? It's okay. There's no shame in that. I'm stupid a lot, a lot. I have to admit that I'm being stupid and fix that problem, correct what I can correct out of that situation. And I'm sure like everyone in this room, you've been through some rough things in life. I was making a list for myself. I've I've had difficulties as a parent, as a husband, as an employee, as an employer, as a church member, as a church pastor, and as someone who was simply at the wrong place at the wrong time, just minding my own business. And something just is dropped in my lap, had nothing to do with me. So once again, if you've lived long enough, you've probably, you've probably experienced some of those things. So sometimes it was definitely my doing. I did not row away from the rocks. Or I was distracted and didn't see the rocks. Or I thought that running into the rocks would get me some help from someone or would get somebody to notice me. There are lots of reasons that we run into the rocks there. Some of it was actually truly suffering as injustice. I was a victim of what someone else was doing, and there was nothing I could do to stop that. I was defenseless. That has happened to me too in my life. It's probably happened to you as well. Some of it was random day-to-day chaos while I was out minding my own business, like I told you guys. Sometimes stuff is just stuff, right? There's no super hyper-spiritual reason for something. It just happens, right? So sometimes in these situations, I could see the good that could come out of it. And I looked for that good and I tried to incorporate that good. Other times as a victim, I could, I could pinpoint, the, uh, pinpoint the culprit. I knew who the problem was. And I was like, I don't wanna be like that person and I'm staying away from that person, okay? And then other times, the only person I could blame was the person who was staring back at me in the mirror. And I was like, hey, <laughs> I did it again, <laughs> right? So the important thing is to be able to recognize where you are on that scale. But for a few minutes, I want to talk about and give you some thoughts on how to get out of true suffering, which is different. That's that horrible loss, permanent sadness that spins you into a depression where you have to pick yourself up off the floor and find a way to move forward in life. Have you ever experienced that? There are times in my life where I was literally on the floor crying with a panic attack that was so intense that I could feel it through the backside of my, like, behind here. If you've ever felt anything like that. Horrible, horrible feeling. I've been through some of those. And I'm sure you've been through some of that as well. And so I have recovered. I recovered. It didn't take, it took a minute, but I did. And um, these are the steps that I used to do that when I kind of boiled it down. It dovetails pretty well with what Paul says. So I want to, maybe if you add these together, you'll get a good list for yourself. So first step, get some perspective. Get some perspective. Ask yourself a couple of questions. Is this true suffering or is this really just an inconvenience? Is there some hyper-spiritual reason for this to exist or is it literally just living in the world? If it's just living in the world, hey, man, uh, take a minute, but then, you know, get over it. It's going to be okay, right? Off of that, uh, the second question is, if you were, if I was not already in a bad mood, you can ask yourself this, would this bother me this much? Have you ever been in that situation where something just, it's the straw 
You know, the straw doesn't have to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. It may just be something much, much smaller that compounded breaks the camel's back. So recognize that in yourself. And then if it's something that's truly bad, I like to play a game called skip to the end. Skip to the end or at the end of the problem. Here's how this works. Suppose you've lost your job out of the blue. There are bills to pay. There's mouths to feed. You're immediately gripped with fear of the unknown, you know, the economy, all these things. You never know what's going to happen. And it's so intense that you start thinking just over-the-top maniacal stuff like, I'll never get another job. I'll be homeless. My kids will hate me. My spouse will divorce me. I'll get sick. If I go in the hospital, I won't have insurance. I'm going to die. Y'all ever had those? Had those train of thoughts, right? So after giving yourself a minute to freak out, which it's okay, you're allowed to freak out if you lose your job or something like that, those things are worth a moment of freaking out. Shake hands with the fear and say, hey, you're real. Now I'm going to move on. I'm going to play this, this game. I'm going to play this game to stop the spiral. I'm going to skip to the end. So what if I really do have trouble finding a job? Well, you think, well, I'm qualified in several areas. I can take a job that'll help me uh, cover the rent until I can get something better. I can ask people if I, have, if I don't have any money, if I've saved up a little bit because I tied up my camel a couple of years ago, I'm just putting a little bit off. Besides, it's called being an adult, right? Then you can use that. That's what nest eggs are for. They're great for retirement unless you need them now. And then they're great now. And you can save again. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. You do what you need to do to make ends meet. It's not, you may not have a lot, but you can cut out extra stuff. It makes ends meet. But what if I become homeless? Then you know what? You're homeless. You're homeless. And you get help. But even something as devastating as something like homelessness doesn't have to be the end of things if you skip to the end. And I want to give you an example. I'm on the board of the Big Ben Homeless Coalition uh, in town, and we serve about 200 people a night, families. Uh, about 60% of the people that we serve are children within those families, and another 80% of that within those are children under the age of five. So a lot of young, formidable families without homes. One of my favorite board members is a guy named Bob. And Bob has a beautiful home. He has nice clothes. He's always dressed to a tee. He's got a vest on underneath. I mean, he's a three-piece guy. He's not a two-piece. He's a three-piece guy. He's that guy. And uh, he has uh, beautiful children, uh, a sweet wife, and he's got a smile like Magic Johnson. Y'all know the one? A big old smile? That's his. You know what else? Bob and his family were homeless once, several years ago. They stayed at the Homeless Coalition until they could get their feet back under them. And that's why Bob is on the board so he can tell people about what it was like to be homeless and to recover. Today, today, after everything, skipping to the end, you would never know what Bob had been through. And that's why it's important to play this game. Mentally roll through those logical solutions to a problem. You're going to survive. You're going to survive whatever you're going through. And you have the God-given strength to make it to the other side of that suffering. You can do it. You can do it. The next thing that helped me in the middle of suffering, your, your favorite ice cream tastes the same. Your favorite ice cream tastes the same. I was out at dinner. I was really depressed. Was having pro- it was actually a work issue that I was having problems with and totally depressed, didn't see a way out of it. 
and I was eating dessert at a restaurant because I like dessert. I don't know about y'all. Sometimes I like skip other things to get to dessert at a restaurant. Um, but hey, I'm an adult. I could do what I want, right? Um, and I remember eating that dessert in the middle of that depressed malaise and thinking to myself, man, you know what? No matter, no matter what's happening in life, this dessert tastes really good. And then I went, no matter what is happening in life, this dessert tastes really good. Do you see where I'm going with that? The second thing is to be grounded, is to stay grounded. When anxiety hits, look around you. Your loved ones are there. You're, you're still breathing. You, you have a car. You can go do what you want. Your favorite show is still on Netflix. You can watch it. And your favorite ice cream still tastes the same. Lean into the things that you know are the same whether they be spiritual, emotional, or whether it be something simple like getting a carton of your favorite ice cream. It's okay, because those things help you be present. That's what I'm describing in that moment. Not letting your brain take you on some wild goose chase. I remember one morning I was making waffles for uh, the kids, and uh, this was several years back, so Mark, my youngest son, uh, youngest um, child, was um, really young, and so I would tear pieces of waffles apart and then put syrup all over them because he didn't want to cut them up, right? So young. And um, I remember my mind just racing with all these things, these scenarios, these problems. I remember taking a deep breath, purposefully focusing on tearing waffle pieces apart and watching them separate. And what I was doing in that moment was kind of a form of meditation. It was meditative waffle making. But what it did in that moment is it grounded me I focused just on that action, watched those pieces separate. And I know that sounds kind of dumb to go all, you know, zen-like on waffles, but it actually helped me shed that anxiety and focus on something. So your favorite ice cream tastes the same. Ground yourself. Refocus. If you get off task, refocus again. And then pray. Use pray as a meditative exercise to calm your mind and thereby calm your spirit. Next thing I've learned. Make a plan. Make a plan. Sounds simple, but it's really important. We don't make plans because they always work out how we imagine it. We plan because it gives us the next step. It just gives us the next step. You know what comes after that step? The next step, right. And you know what? You may have to adjust your plan over time. That's actually normal. Your plan never goes. I've never had a plan in my life go according to plan. I don't know about you guys. It's never, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, this, and this. It's going to be perfect. A plus B equals C. Never, never. It goes, woo, woo. It goes all over the place before, before I land where I want to be, right? That kind of an idea. And so there's no shame in adjusting that plan. Over time, those adjusted plans create a map or a route of how you found your way to freedom. And then you can look back and say, wow, that's how I got out. Now I'll know. And now, if someone else asks me, we'll talk about this in a minute, I can tell them how I got out, okay? Speaking of, next point, find your people. Find your people. When unexplained suffering hits, and it's just devastating, whatever it may be, part of recovering is to seek out your people. So who are those people? They are people that have already been through whatever that tragedy, whatever that suffering is, and they've made it to the other side. It can come in the form of a, a support group or it can come simply as a couple of people that you know have been through 
that. Not everybody wants to get in a big group of people and talk about the suffering they've been through, the tragedy that they've been to. Sometimes people just don't do that. They want it to be smaller. They want to be in a, in a smaller group. And so um, you look for these people. You specifically seek out people who've been through this. And these folks are all around us. There are people who have dealt with the loss of children or family, right? There are post-divorce people that are happily remarried. There are formerly bankrupt people that are now successful business people. And a hundred other examples. Whatever you're going through, someone else has been through it. Even though it may seem personal to you, someone else has been through it. This next step requires bravery. But if you want to get out of your suffering, consider doing it. Go to those specific people and say, I know your story of loss or of grief or failure, whatever it may be. I am going through this now. Would you be willing to walk with me through this while I recover and give me advice and help me know how to get out along the way? You know what? They'll either say yes or no. If they say no, then you move on to the next person. It's okay. I mean, they may not have the bandwidth to do it. But if they say yes, tell them thank you. Say, let's set up a time to talk. I want to know everything that you have to say. They'll understand how you're feeling, and they'll tell you it's going to be okay because they are living proof that it's going to be okay, right? that it's going to be okay. And for Pete's sake, whatever they say, take their advice because that'll just make them angry if they put all this time in and then you don't take their advice and you're like, oh my, I can't get out of my... But you didn't do what they said. So don't do that to them, you know? So if you're going to take them up on it, be respectful of their time as well. They can show you a way forward. And suffering and tragedy, oftentimes it feels really, really personal. But one of the things that you have to know is that it's very, very similar for everyone even though it feels personal. So rest assured, those folks will know how you feel. They'll know how you feel. And they can be your lifeline. Choose them wisely and listen to them well. Finally, use the magic of time. More than a cliche, time does heal. And I want to explain this for you guys. Not because distance from the suffering makes it easier, but because of everything you can build in the meantime. This is something I've had to learn with suffering. It still hurts years and years and years later. It still hurts, whether it's just historical fact. But what you have in time, that distance doesn't stop the hurt. It may stop it some. It stops the grief to a degree. But what it allows you to do is to build something new. It allows you to build something new. My wife, Amber, um, she's uh, really kind and she's beautiful. But I, I don't know if you know this. She's also very smart. And uh, it's one of the things I like about her most. She's very smart. And uh, she told me one time, we were talking about bad memories and good memories, and she's had her own uh, round of suffering that she's been through, even at a very young age. And um, she told me one time, she said, Sam, we're going to replace some bad memories with good ones, and we're just going to focus on those. And she just said it in passing, and I was like, (gasps) right? Smart lady, smart lady. You don't try to forget the bad stuff. You won't forget the bad stuff. Let's not pretend you will, but you can focus on the good stuff, the rebuilding. That's what matters. See there, smart lady. And she's, she's my wife. Yep, she is. So when suffering comes, time does not rebuild the house that came crashing down around you, okay? That house is gone. It's gone. Suffering and loss is often permanent. It's, un, it's important for us to know that. But time does give you the opportunity and the space to build a new house of joy 
and of wisdom and contentment that grows out of that heartache. Give yourself time to build a new home, not try to recreate the old home. The old home's gone. Build a new home based on who you are now, the best parts of who you are, and all the goodness that, draw, that God draws out of you. Remember, God is the master architect. And together with him, we can build a life of healing and contentment on the other side. Some of you guys are going through tremendous suffering. And you're not going to let anybody know, but inside you're just, just withering. Something going on, just killing you on the inside. I, it's, it's awful. I understand. I don't understand everything you're going through, but I've been in that type of place before. And what I want you to know is someone who makes it, has made it to the other side, and what anyone else who's been to, through this has made it to the other side, is you're going to be okay. It may not look like you thought it was going to look. It may not feel like you thought it was going to feel. Life may be totally different, but you are going to be okay. You're surrounded by people that have been through similar things. And most importantly, God will help you rebuild your life, whatever that may be. You truly are going to be okay. And for the others who have healed from their suffering, and you're on the other side of that, the greatest gift you could give anybody that comes to you is to consider committing to and sharing your wisdom from that experience for those who are facing those same obstacles. obstacles. It is a gift that you can give that to someone else. Be aware of the possibility to do that. Be there for each other, church. Amen? Amen. Amen.